Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 336, recorded January 17th, 2021. So as promised, today we're just doing two gold key issues, issue number 54 and 55. Great. And uh, these, these are stories. Nah. Oh, yeah, they're stories. It's gold I think, key. I think they're both done by the same author. Well, the first one's George Cashdan. Is the second one George? Oh, no, no, no. I guess they're different. No, the second one is uh, Arnold Drake. Honored. Honored. Oh, yeah, there you go. A World Against Itself is number 55. Well, I like the cover of 55. Because it's the Enterprise and then yeah. the, the shuttle. Ab- I like that. absolutely nothing to do with the story because there is no shuttle in the story. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought the same thing. Yeah, but I do like the cover. Like, oh, this cover's beautiful. Exactly. It's a great. It's going to be one of the best issues ever. Exactly. It's it's accurate and uh, it's it's very good spaceship drawings. Very nice. Yep. And then yours has the Great Bird of the Galaxy on it. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It, so it has birds that grow to four times their normal size and become quite cross when their lady folk are taken from them. Spoiler. Well, you're going to find out in a minute anyway, so. Well, why don't we just go ahead and find out now, Ken? Go ahead. Get us started. <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. Let me just mention briefly, and I have no idea how much this is, has relevance to anything by the time we post this, but I do have COVID, and hey. I've been trying to get over it for 10 days, and I had my worst bout with it last night on the ninth day. Very odd. This is, this is the oddest sick I've ever been. Hoping to get over it before too long. So, um, I hope so too. Yes. It's not like it's debilitating, at least lucky for me. Uh, right. Some people have no, some people are asymptomatic, no issues. Some people have symptoms, but they're not horrible. Um, and that's pretty much me. Although, uh, I mean, some days it's like, you know, you can feel sick and things like that, but it's not, it's not going to slow you down too much. But, uh, someday, then all of a sudden it hits you. And, right, uh, and that can last hours or overnight or whatever. Anyway, uh, definitely wear masks, everybody. You don't want to get this. Okay, so let's go for it. Okay, so this one, uh, issue fifty-four, is titled "Sport of Knaves," and its published date is August nineteen seventy-eight. The writer is George Cashdan. Art is by Eldon McWilliams, and I'm not sure who did the cover, but um, it, it, it's an interesting cover. It's very colorful. I'm kind of surprised by some of the color choices, but very, very pretty. The cover presents a big, bald man's head, whose skin is mostly green, except for his ears that appear to be a normal pink Caucasian shade. The big head, two gargoyle-looking creatures, one skinny dragon-looking creature, and one weird, unidentifiable creature are all looking on while a huge, mostly hot pink-colored bird with a parrot's head is attacking a human being in a suit who is on his butt desperately trying to fend off the attack. Orange text on the bottom says, His killer birds make deadly sport with Scotty. So that's supposed to be Scotty, even though I don't think it particularly looks like Scotty, but that's apparently Scotty on the, on the cover on his butt. Okay, so the teaser page presents uh, the same theme as the cover, Scotty being attacked by a huge bird in a crowded arena, while a big bald guy looks on. Unlike the cover, Kirk is in civilian clothes, who is also looking on with a look of concern and powerlessness to do anything to save Scotty. Also, unlike the cover, the bird here looks like a huge vulture, which is a lot more threatening than a huge parrot. Red text shows the book's title, Sport of Names. 
While on routine patrol of outpost colonies, the Enterprise receives a call for aid from Salvum, a planetary wildlife preserve. They report an unidentified craft entering their atmosphere shield, which is, uh, so there's a protective planetary shield around the, ap- the, uh, the planet that, that holds in the atmosphere and stuff. So there's a gateway that this strange uh, unidentified ship is entering through. Suspecting animal poachers, Kirk orders best speed to Salvum. When they arrive, they see a transport ship exiting the planet's airlock. When Kirk orders them to stop and identify themselves, they fire upon the planetary atmospheric shield, which opens up a hole through which atmosphere rushes out. Spock reports the planet's atmosphere is rushing into space and that all life will die if they do not stop the loss of atmosphere. Scotty is called to the bridge to work his miracle magic engineering work stuff. So, Scotty and his team are able to seal the hole in time, and the animals are saved in the preserve. Yay! But this gave the poachers all the time they needed to make their escape. Kirk, Spock, and Scotty beam down to the preserve planet, and find out from Axel Carruthers, chief zoologist, that all the male Garian wedding birds have been taken by the poachers. Dr. Carruthers is clueless as to why those birds were taken. But after the zoologist explains the males can grow to four times their normal size and become violent monsters if separated from their potential mates during copulation season, Scotty theorizes they took the birds to Grotus. Scotty says in his early career as a merchantman, he visited Grotus, where animal fights to the death were commonplace things to bet on. Like outlawed cockfights used to be on Earth. Kirk formulates a plan to go undercover to Grotus, where he intends to find the poachers, save the birds, and bring the evildoers to justice. The three land on Grotus in a borrowed shuttle and are immediately beset upon by prostitutes. Yes! Three overweight toughs try to give Kirk and company trouble, but Scotty leads the way as he, Kirk, and Spock knock them on their arses. The trio split up when they enter the city to maximize their potential damage. The Tufts want to get even, and even suspect Kirk and his team may be spies. They split up also and follow the three, vowing to report them to Zarkoon 5 if they see anything suspicious. Spock finds where the stolen birds are being kept, Kirk plans to enter the planetary HQ to see what he can find out, and Scotty enters an arena that advertises the Battle of the Century. Scotty finds where the combatants are penned up and finds a huge and very angry wedding bird. Not soon after that, one of the Tufts puts a gun to Scotty's head. Kirk is caught trying to break into the planetary HQ and brought before planetary crime boss Trump. Oh, I mean, Zarkoon 5. Kirk is brought to witness his fate by watching Scotty ripped apart by a wedding bird. Spock is still free, and when he sees Scotty about to be ripped to shreds, Spock calls to the ship and gives a transporter command. A female wedding bird materializes next to the huge male bird, which takes all the fight out of him and replaces it with nothing but love. The crowd is not happy at the lack of blood spatter patterns, so they start booing and throw rocks at Scotty and the lovebirds. Spock opens an arena door that Scotty and the birds escape through. Meanwhile, in the office, Zarkoon 5 and his sycophants are distracted by the spectacle enough that Kirk is able to get the crime boss in a headlock and convince the thugs to drop their guns. Kirk, with Zarkoon 5 at gunpoint, transports back to the ship to join Spock, Scotty, and the birds. Kirk says Zarkoon 5 will be tried by Federation courts for the theft of the birds, as well as the attempted murder of Scotty. Scotty makes a joke by thanking the female bird for saving his life. The end. So, uh, his mom named him Zarkon 5, or do you think that's like a gangster name? 
<sighs> I didn't think of it being a gangster name, but I bet it is. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, is that his, is that his biological, is that uh, his uh, birth name, or is that, like, it, something it, he came up with? It sounds like a planetary name. You know, I the know, star right? is Arkun, and then the fifth planet. So, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know where they came up with that. I wasn't quite sure what his name really was. Oh, well. Uh, I don't know either, but... Those things don't bother you? I mean, if he was a robot, I mean, that's what... Zarkon 5. That sounds like a good robot name in Star Wars. I am Zarkon 5. Yeah, exactly. You remember that? There was a story we did not that long in the past where a robot was... Was it a UK comic? Where a robot was the the crime boss. But uh, in this case, it's a a human being. Right. Or so he appears. Is he human or is he an alien? He has yellow skin, right? Or no, no. Well, he looks... Okay, so he looks normal in the book. He just looks like a like a normal kind of bald, heavy set guy. Like the kingpin or something. Exactly, the like the kingpin. Exactly, only with facial hair. Whereas on the cover, he looks he looks alien. On the cover, actually, he almost looks like he's uh, I don't know Orion, something like that. Green skin. Well, that, w- that would have made sense. They should have kept that. They should have, but mm. so those are uh, Orions. So yeah, so. Scotty used to visit these planets on his merchant days. What does that even mean? That's cool. Yeah, so he, so like in the modern day, <clears throat> merchant marines. So he used to uh, crew uh, a private sector ship before he joined Starfleet, it sounds like. That's what they're trying to say. Mm, I don't think that's canon. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's what, it's, that's what they say in this story. Yeah, but that's never stuff. <clears throat> well... I, well, at least there's times when Gold Key is surprisingly accurate about some of their Taws references. But uh, in this particular one, I do agree. I do not believe Scotty was a merchantman. But uh, at least I don't remember that ever being mentioned. Right. Plus, I I mean, uh, I don't know. Who knows? So, um, so this planet preserve thing. Right. Um, it has a shield. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's made out of glass, like a glass shield. Glass, plexiglass, something. But it goes around the entire planet, so it's got to be really strong. And how do they keep it in place? Right. I mean, it's got to be kept exactly the right distance from the surface, otherwise you're going to impact it. But then, okay, so, but it's in orbit, right? So, I mean, it's a planet that has a, a, a glass dome around, or a glass well, sphere around a it. a glass sphere. That's a but, lot harder. Uh, but but then when the pirates shoot it, they break the glass. Yeah. And then Spock says the atmosphere is going to be sucked out into space. So yes, exactly. It makes no All sense. makes sense. I mean, if they built a a glass dome around Earth, it's not it's not going to be there to keep the atmosphere. <coughs> well, we really don't know for sure. But I'm guessing they're insinuating that this was a terraformed planet that didn't originally have a, an atmosphere that could support life on its own. I mean, I assume that's what they're saying. That's what they're going for? Okay. But, I mean, why would you go to all that trouble of terraforming a planet? And quite frankly, think of the engineering problems with trying to make a, a physical shield like that, um, where if the main point of it is to provide a variety of different um, uh, environments for animals from different planets. Right. Um, then why wouldn't you just have domes? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Individual domes and have a lot of them. And then they can all be different, uh, different environments with, under the domes. Right. That would seem to be a lot more logical. But... Well, but... I will say, in uh, this issue's defense, it's yeah. not the most outrageous uh, scientific marvel in the Star Trek canon. Okay, what's what's the most? The Dyson Sphere. Oh, so was that was build... that the one relics with Scotty? Or yeah, yeah, right. It's the one where they like let's build a uh, artificial sphere around a whole solar system. Yes. 
That is ridiculous. Yeah, but that's <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a Star Trek idea. But still, it's but, in yeah. Star Trek, so therefore it's, it's Star a Star Trek, Trek yes. story, yep. and it's yeah. So they use a real idea, right? Well, this dome things, and I've seen this in other stuff. I mean, space balls. <laughs> uh, you're right. They I mean, the they did thing. have something like that, didn't they? They just stick a a, a a vacuum cleaner up to this giant hole and start sucking. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. I, I forgot about Spaceballs. Oh, no. That and uh, Rogue One was the first thing I thought of when I saw that ship coming out of the dome. Oh, did Rogue One have a domed uh, planet? Uh, it had a... It was a shield. There was a shield okay. generator around the whole planet. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It, it actually looked cool where, where this and Spaceballs looked. Kind of Janky? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had a lot more money on Rogue One. At least in... in uh, you know, space balls. They were they were trying to look silly. <laughs> they succeeded. <laughs> yeah, having a planetary shield—that's one thing. An electromagnetic planetary shield. Having a physical, transparent aluminum shield, or whatever the heck this was made out of. <laughs> nah, not buying it. Right, but I still buy it more than the Dyson sphere thing. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Now, um, are you familiar with the Ringworld novels? Um, yes, I, there you go. So I sold many of them when I worked at the bookstore, but, I oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would the ring world makes a lot more sense than Dyson sphere. Right. I mean, think about the amount of surface area you can get out by, cons- and that's, this is hard enough as it is, but putting a ring around a solar system, um, that's hard enough as it is, but right. putting an entire dome. Wow. Uh, and you can achieve massive amounts of uh, usable surface uh, with That's the true. ring. So, well, and the dice—I mean, the dice sphere. In you know, if you could build something like that, sure. I mean, now you have surface area 360 degrees around your plant. Uh, yeah, around agreed. Your sun. Agreed. But just—I don't see that as being feasible. Yeah. You would have to destroy how many planets in order to get enough raw material to make. It. You're right. They're, they're, they're just an amazing number of engineering challenges to it. Right. Amazing. So, anywho, enough of that. Enough so of this, that. Uh, the Galileo 7 makes a return, but it doesn't actually call itself the Galileo 7. It's just Shuttlecraft 7. Yeah. Yep. So, they, they, the artist still can't just stick another number at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, and I'm interested in the other vehicle shuttle-like vehicle that they used on the uh, preserve world. Okay. The little, so, the little it's helicopter, like a helicopter thingy. helicopter, right? Yeah. 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 Which, um, so it was like, like, a, like a four or five person little vehicle that the uh, zoologist t- just used to, uh, you know, to just you know, kind of go around the, the, uh, the zoo and make sure everything's cool. And uh, it's like I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, well, okay. Uh, if, if you had a technological level, like the Star Trek universe, which obviously understands how to manipulate gravity, why would you make any vehicle with a prop? But, um, yes, they did it. They did it. So it's got a big old problem. Well, don't you know that dilithium emissions could be bad for some of these animals? So well, you don't they... you don't know that they need dilithium to run uh, artificial gravity or the anti-gravs. The or anti-gravs emissions could damage the animals. Well, that that's could why, be. That that's could why be. they use a propeller plane. <sighs> that could uh, be. It all makes sense, Ken. Uh, no, I'm thinking no. Uh, okay. And also, you'd be a lot lot quieter if you were. Using an anti-grav kind of uh, means of staying aloft, and considering and it, we've seen in Star Trek as well as Star Wars, um, kind of like what uh, sleds, right? You know, or gurneys or whatever, where you can move things around and you're just kind of pushing it around, but it's like yep. floating above. It's like that's quiet. You don't have to worry about the prop giving out and you crashing, probably. Sure. Uh, as long as you had power, you're probably going to stay aloft. It's just a lot better all the way around. Probably safer than this thing, too, because 
look at it when they get out of the out of the helicopter. <laughs> that little like pop up door mm-hmm. goes into the propeller. So, <laughs> that, if they had to get out in the middle of the flight, uh, good point. They're dead. Yeah, good point. Yeah, they, hopefully they have a, a escape hatch on the bottom. I don't know. On the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing kind of reminded me of Archie. Archie comics? No, Night Owl's uh, oh, oh, oh. vehicle. <laughs> What? I guess the shape of the front and stuff, yeah. Well, kind of round. Yeah, although, yeah. I mean, it, no, it, uh, Archie's in the Watchmen comic books. Uh, Archie is a little different in shape. And, of course, you got the big, huge two portholes in the front that you can, you know, the windshield or whatever. But uh just reminded me of a little bit of Archie. I can see that. And by the way. I thought this was just another one of your uh, slams on Archie Comics. No. I, I was waiting for the, the shooter. No. <laughs> I don't think uh, Archie, as in the high school student, really got up in the air that often flying around. Oh, except for when he went to space. Duh. <sighs> I'm sure there's I never Archie saw those. space series. I never I saw those. I don't know if there is. I never saw I'd those. be surprised if, I mean, Josie and the Pussycats went to space, so why can't Archie? Good point. Good point. They're about the same quality level. Well, they're made by the same people. <sighs> Anyways. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it did work out well, didn't it? I mean, in the end. I mean, that it kind of, boom, boom, boom. You know, one second you got Scotty in trouble, uh, going to get ripped up, and then the next, next minute you're back on the ship, everything's fine. Right. Yeah, it was quick. It was quick. All they had to do was beam down the bird, and then suddenly it turned into a horny chicken. <laughs> okay, so the uh, wedding bird grows to four times its normal size. That's kind of hard to believe. Because, yes. yeah. Because, I mean, you look at the female, and I know the male is probably bigger than the female anyway. But that female bird was, you know, how, how tall? Three feet? Maybe four feet? Tops? Right. And and then the male was like gargantuan. I mean, this right. thing was, was like yeah, much much taller than a human, much taller than Scotty. Yeah, just exactly. Standing there. So they mentioned something about him somehow swelling to four times their normal size, right? Uh, which I, which so. I, I I guess I guess that if you wanted to make a chicken threatening, that would be the way to do it. But uh, I just but then he could shrink back. Very quickly, apparently. So my thing is, is that you know, I, all right, I'll buy that. It, it, you know, due to you know hormones or whatever, it, it grows big. But uh, you know, it wouldn't be super fast, and it uh, it couldn't be reversed just by getting it close. Introducing to a little lady. Yeah. Yeah, like well. when a grasshopper becomes feral and becomes a locust. I mean, it can't go back to being a grasshopper later, right? Oh, I, I didn't know there was a big transition there. You're, you're informing me of something I did not know. Yeah, so grasshoppers are lone, lone hunters, but okay. when they get too close to each other for long periods of time, they actually have a physical change. and They, they turn a locust? They turn into locusts, yeah. How fascinating. I had no clue. Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, they used to mistakenly call cicadas locusts. Locusts, right? Which is like yeah. uh, that's that doesn't seem right to me. Right. Uh, yeah, those 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 are not grasshoppers. <laughs> uh, right. No. No. They're like big, huge cicadas. Are like big, huge flies, almost looking. Right. But I didn't realize. Okay. So so I knew locusts. The locusts, the real locusts, look like like grasshoppers. I just okay, fascinating. I did not yeah, know that. They're just. Really pissed off grasshoppers, <laughs> but they never go back to being a, a normal. Once they once once they go evil, they never go back. Okay, right there you go. So when I was reading this, the movie Hulk kept popping into my head. Oh, really? As bad as that movie is, which I don't think is that bad as most people say it is, but it 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 has its. So fault. this is the Eric Bana one, the Angley one. Yeah, yeah. The okay, Angley one. Right. Okay. So one of the things I did like about that is that they talked about matter distribution, right? So okay. uh, he, he actually addressed that when he goes from Hulk back down to Bruce Banner that mm-hmm. there would be all this water. So in the movie, they made it like he was just pouring out water out of every pore and, and 
that's where all this extra mass came from. Water. It he doesn't make sense. Water. But at least they tried to explain they it. They tried to address it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one scene where he's like uh, inside of a water um, tank, yeah. and he turns, and then you know that was part of the storyline is that you know you put something small in in a water, and then it grows big. You know, obviously. Uh, it's going to bust through the seams because of the water pressure. So at least they tried to address, you know, the, this change in, in size. And, right. But, I mean, I don't buy it because I, I don't think he's – I don't think water would make you super strong. <laughs> <laughs> it's gamma radiation, of course. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. You know, I guess I guess he heard of, you know, women, you know, the whole stereotype about when they have PMS, they retain water and they become angry. Right. I guess that, that's what Ang Lee was going for. Right. Just, if you retain water, you become a monster. <laughs> Speaking of ladies, how about all the prostitutes? The ladies of the evening? Yeah. It's like, how many Archie comics have prostitutes? A half dozen prostitutes. Not that many. And isn't this, isn't this comic actually kind of aimed at youngins? Yeah, but are they supposed to be prostitutes? They oh, come really on. Like them. Oh, God. So this is this planet is obviously supposed to be Vegas or something. Sure. But it's like overboard. It's like uh the pimps are like behind a rock saying, Yeah, you yeah, you, you get in there, girls. Get, get right. in there, get in there. And of course and, the you know, the, the landing party's like, oh, ooh, back off. Yeah, right. I mean, we have a mission. How, how far into undercover do they go? <laughs> good good question. If they Did you really notice wanted, that one of the uh, women is an Andorian, but she's color drunk? I did not notice that at all. So which one's the, an Andorian? The one that's facing us when she's like, her arms around Spock's arm. And she's like blonde with a purple dress. Okay, let me get she the right Andorian, page. Andorian ears, but uh, she's she's uh, Caucasian. Huh. It's the, the splash page for part two. I got to it. And I'm sorry. Uh, which one's Andorian? Oh, oh my gosh, you're right. One with the antennae. She's got antennae. Huh. Well, okay, so maybe they just wanted it to be an alien girl. And they're so bad with continuity that <laughs> they didn't know about Andorians. Maybe. Maybe? I don't know. But yeah, good point. I did not see. I mean, they're definitely Andorian antennae, though. I mean, yeah. what are the chances that he would, someone would just say, "Hey, I want to put antennas on this," and come out with the exact same? Shape? Yeah. Unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah, but in the but original, yeah, the only panel she's ever in. Yeah, in part. Well, exactly, because in part one, where the groping begins, I do not see her. Nope. She. I don't see it. the pink outfit. The pink diaphanous outfit. So, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, friendly ladies. Yep. Um, yeah, and then the guys are like, what's wrong with my women? What, my women not good enough for oh, you? Oh, that's right. That makes sense. So those guys that came down were their pimps. Right. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Are my hoes not good enough for you? Anyway. Anyway. So I just, anyway. Thought, I just thought having the prostitutes there was kind of uh, funny. Now, mind you, your average kid is not going to know that they're prostitutes. They're just very friendly ladies. But um, that's really what they are. Well, they're just very friendly ladies that these men are upset that they didn't partake in. Which... <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have been. Well, when you put it that way. Kid, but I think I might have picked up on that. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Anyways. That's funny. How about that D1 shuttle? That they borrow from the zoologists. Is that about the ugliest thing you ever saw? That green thing that they fly to the pleasure planet in? Uh, I've seen worse. You've seen worse? <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a giant bus with like a turbine on top. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, ugly. it's not that good. Not good. But luckily it's only in like two panels. So yeah. that's all you can care about. Yeah, they, they just had to get into the planet. They don't go back to it at all. No. Okay, I got nothing else to say about this one. How about you? Uh, no, but I will say that this issue and the next one, mm-hmm. especially the next one, ends incredibly abruptly. Yeah. It's like you're in the middle of a big fight, and then the next panel 
it's over and they're making the stupid joke. The the last. <laughs> this one at least has three panels to kind of wrap it up and tell the joke. Right. But in the next one, it is abrupt. Yeah. An amazing change of heart. For the, for the third. For the two peoples that are uh, at war with each other. Oh, in the next issue. In the next issue. Oh. Yeah, well, let's find out. Shall we go? Let's do it. All right. So this is mine to, to give you the synopsis for. Came out September 1978. It is issue 55 called A World Against Itself with the uh, story by Arnold Drake and art by A. McWilliams. And A stands for Alden. And they don't tell you who the cover artist is. But uh, as we mentioned earlier, the cover artist is quite nice. Shows a, a giant picture of the Enterprise. And then we see a shuttlecraft uh, off to the side. It's really nice. And has absolutely nothing to do with the story. So the teaser page shows uh, two panels. One on each side of the page. Takes up, takes up the whole page with these two panels. On the uh, left, we have Spock wearing a loincloth and bare-chested. And he is leading some cavemen to war. And then on the right side, we have Scotty sitting in a cockpit of a flying saucer with some yellow tiny alien guys. And he seems to be leading the charge against the cavemen who are on the surface. So the story starts uh, sometime earlier where Kirk is briefing the crew on their next mission. They're going to journey to the solar system Bria where there is a planet that has been halved by a radiation belt. And this has caused two completely unique species to form on each side of the radiation belt. On one side, we have a primitive race of cavemen. And on the other side, we have a technological race of uh, small yellow alien guys. Both sides have been at war with each other once they found out that there was people living on the other side of the radiation belt. Uh, but they've now both asked for the Federation to mediate a peace between the two. So when they arrive to the planet, Spock and McCoy beam down to the prearranged coordinates. When they beam down, nobody greets them except what looks like a wedding bird in the tree. Eventually, some of the cavemen arrive, and they say that the other race is not going to arrive. They're just they're going to stand you up. But Spock insists that they'll keep waiting. So eventually the sky is filled with some flying saucers. The cavemen then use telepathic blasts from their foreheads to blast the crafts. However, they are soon surrounded by the diminutive yellow men who are carrying phasers. Captured, the cavemen and the starfleeters are marched into a temple area. The cavemen tell Spock that these ruins used to be theirs before the yellow aliens took over. The group is split up. The cavemen are taken to the dungeons, while Spock and Scotty are taken to the leader. The leader forces them into a machine that will make them intellectually equal to themselves. The machine works on Scotty, but turns Spock into an emotional caveman. Spock is then thrown into the dungeon with the other cavemen, while Scotty is somehow elevated to leader for some reason. Spock and the other cavemen escape. And Spock kills a giant horned Mossic, which looks like a large unicorn lion, but it's huge, like 10, 20 feet tall. It's giant, but Spock takes it out with bare-handed. So this event was foretold in the scriptures, so this means that Spock is now the leader of the caveman race. Scotty rallies the small aliens to press the attack against the caveman foes. And the small yellow men blindly follow. Concerned that no one has checked in to the Enterprise, Kirk and McCoy beam down to the planet to find out what's going on. They meet up with Spock as Scotty's attack is in full swing. The saucers are taking out cavemen, but the psychic blasts of the cavemen are taking out just as many of the flying saucers. Kirk sees that Spock is actually calling all the shots. And he walks up to his old friend and sucker punches him in the stomach. This distraction allows the saucers to return to their base. Later, 
Kirk arrives at the ruins of the base, and he demands that Scotty and Spock be allowed to fight hand-to-hand to settle the differences between the two races. Scotty, who is now able to override the leader's objections, agrees. Later, at the agreed-upon place, Spock and Scotty arrive to do battle. They are then informed that it is a battle to the death. McCoy objects, but the combatants seem all too eager to kill one another. The fight is intense, but before either one of them can kill the other, the brainwashing wears off on both. They stop fighting. Both the caveman and the saucer man call foul. They want to see blood. But Kirk eases them by saying that they need to all get along, or they'll each have riots on their hands based on blindly following false leaders. And then we got one more panel left of the story, and it is just abruptly back on the Enterprise, where Scotty and Spock compliment each other on how they became leaders in fields they are normally not associated with. The end. So yeah, they wrap up the whole story in one panel, and then they have a joke in the last panel. And uh, I was lost. I was lost. Yeah. Yeah, so Scotty says, uh, my gosh, you could be a real man if you weren't handicapped by being a genius. (laughs) What What are you saying, Scotty? I'm a wimp. Some, I'm somehow not a, uh, a real man. Yes. I think I'd be more offended if I was Scotty because they keep acting like he's not intellectual and he's not, you know, I mean, these people were very technologically advanced. And so, yeah, it kind of makes sense why Scotty could become their leader because he's also very technologically advanced. But they kind of act like, well, Scotty should be in charge of the the caveman and <laughs> be in charge of the smart ones. Well, I, the whole thing was ridiculous. I mean, I love the Scotty character, but come on. He's not a diplomat. He's, he, he cares about engineering stuff. He, he cares about problem solving. He cares about keeping the ship running. He doesn't. And he cares about alcohol. Those are, those are the things <laughs> he cares about. That's it. That's true. And sometimes he uh, cares about a pretty lass, but he's not really, he's not an ambassador. He's not an ambassador material. Come on. Right. What is that? Yeah, I don't know why they would have beamed him down and not and not Kirk. I mean, Kirk's always the one that. Well, exactly. Him. I mean, Spock makes perfect sense. I mean, his father is an ambassador, uh, and he's logical and cool and collected, and he's not going to go off half cocked uh, normally. Uh, and Kirk, th- those would make sense, or maybe a, a, they would have sent a diplomatic uh, expert along. But just saying, uh, Scotty, the ship's running pretty good right now. Would you mind going down and trying to uh, work out a dispute? You're kind of a caveman, so why don't you go down? (laughs) Yeah, it made no sense. No. (laughs) No. But, yeah. Yeah, I was was digging the show at first, or the story. Uh, I kind of like the idea of the two races not knowing about the other one based on this, uh, this divide. Right. But then they say they've been at war with each other for 200 years. Uh, That's a a long time to know about each other. Right. And still be fighting. Yeah, so it's the flying saucer people with big old heads and uh, looking like almost like aliens that flew over the radiation barrier? Is that that how they came into contact? Right. Okay, well, they're they're obviously the poop heads here in this. Yeah, they're obviously the the ones in the wrong... I mean, because they even say, this used to be our ancestral home, and they've now taken it over. So, (laughs) the yellow guys are definitely the bad guys. Exactly. There's no, there's no, like, sympathy for them in this story, but... No. And then they try to brainwash Spock and Scotty, I mean... Yeah, what what are they they missing with those people? So, exactly... So we need to increase your intelligence level. We need to expand the size of your craniums so that you can come up to our level so that we can even talk with you because you're rather primitive. Right. Really? Really? Wow. But it made no sense also that they're suddenly like, Scotty's now our leader. Well. Where did that come from? It's literally in, well, one, said, in one panel. Well, it's yeah. like they do it and then the next panel they're like, here is our leader. Well, general. They made him a general. So no, but he not... actually says, "Here is our leader." Yeah. Okay. Well, he's the, yeah. Still... Well, there is a line where they say something about uh, Scotty has uh, strong emotions or something like that. He'll make an excellent general. I, I forgot exactly what what the line said, but uh, 
they saw something in Scotty that said he would be a good military leader. So, and they just jumped on it right away. Okay. They all jumped on it. And then look at those little guys in their big white helmets. Uh, in purple, purple coats. Exactly. We would follow you into the mouth of hell itself, Scotty. You're so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It yeah. was so bad. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. And then Spock gets, does the old, uh, guard, come here quick. We need you oh. to look at something and then uh, take them out. Exactly. I've seen that somewhere before. I, th- I feel like every other episode of Taws. But at uh, least when Spock takes out the giant bear thing, oh and they God, say that that so was, bad. you know, preordained or yeah. something like that, that, I mean, to let him be the leader because of that at least made a little bit more sense than... Mm. Then the big-headed guys who put in a bunch of intelligence in somebody, and then as soon as they come out, they're like, this guy must be our leader, because we made him smart? That made no sense. Well, I think they saw something in him before before they expanded his brain, but whatever. Or maybe just after they expanded his brain. I really don't know. But, <laughs> so I, I, liked, I, I liked the fight between Scotty and Spock. However, definitely reminded me of a mock time. Sure. Only no Lerpa. I would have preferred Lerpas. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, again, continuity. There's no way Scotty could stand up hand-to-hand with, with, against Spock. Well, not only that, but why did Kirk even suggest it? I mean, he walks in there. Yeah. And then, what they... like, the first thing out of his mouth is, I think we should let Spock and Scotty settle each other's... Uh, differences with hand-to-hand combat winner take all well i I think i think that was supposed to be that he saw no other way out of it he didn't give it much of a shot (laughs) 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 and then he's surprised when uh when they find out that it's uh to the death and i'm like it was your idea yeah well okay so definitely leader says to, to kirk we make no deals we will wipe out the guard, Garda. So the, the cave right. guys. Cave, cave guys. Uh, and then Kirk says, how many of your men will die? I offer you a permanent settlement without blood. So I, 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 think, I, I think Scott... I think in the end they're trying to say that Kirk doesn't see any, any way out of it. So, but, that, but yeah, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I just... I think that uh, then, in, in the third sentence he ever says to the guy, or the third the third uh, speech balloon, he's already saying they should just fight it out. Yeah, exactly. And then Scotty's fine with it. Well, yeah. And he's able to override the leader. He's like, I say yes. And the leader's like, no. <laughs> I say yes. Yeah. And then uh, the following dawn, then you see Scotty, he's out of his uniform and in some WWE wrestling outfit or something, complete with cape. Right. And it's like, geez, Scotty, what the heck? He's gone all in. He's gone all in. Yeah, so he's got, you know, it's got like uh, little short shorts and then like a tank top kind of thing. And then uh, like maybe uh, Aunt Matilda's belt on and then... Uh, <laughs> Anyway. And then the purple cape. Yeah. And then, of course, Spock is, is in a fur loincloth, and that's it. Right. And he's brought in on a little, uh, what do you call those when when people, like a, I mean, he has four yeah. people with poles on yeah. their shoulders, and he's he's riding in exactly. a little basket. So, yeah. So they're almost like pallbearers, right. but instead they've got a platform on which Spock is just like, <sighs> what is it, um. He's a, he's in a sitting position, you know, with his legs crossed, like he's uh, meditating or something. Right. It's anyway. definitely very WWE. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> yes, yes. Uh, the only thing I miss are uh, folding chairs and ladders. Yeah, of course. Somehow it all comes down to folding chairs and ladders. You got to fight with whatever you happen to have. <laughs> and ladders are very common. To have in a, in, a, in a wrestling ring. Yes, anyway. The kids used to like it. Yeah, I, I, I watched it when I was a kid. But Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah, I had a friend who was really into it. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day. I was never into it, but when I was first working, 
and in Chicago, back in Chicago, which is where I'm from originally. But uh, I went to visit my Aunt Mary, and Aunt Mary was a huge wrestling fan. And, uh, and this, this is before the WWE stuff. So this is like right. back in the 80s. But still, it was the same, it's same garbage, sure. only with lower, uh, lower production values. Sure. Uh, but, oh, my God, she was just so funny. She just, she just loved it. And so here's this, this wonderful, nice uh, you know, lady. She was probably 68 by that point, and she's 69, and she just loved it. <laughs> watching them wail on each other. Huh? Exactly. It's funny. <laughs> anyway. So anyways, so it was very convenient in this story that, uh, you know, it wore off when it did because Spock yeah. was about to cave Scotty dead and was that. <laughs> well, considering he had the strength to kill that lion bear, horned lion bear thing, that was a big, that was a big critter. Right. It was big. That was a big critter. And then Spock just runs up to it like, you know, with his, with his fisticuffs or something. He doesn't even do the doesn't Vulcan neck pinch. Right, no, he just, right. he just gives him a right cross. Boom. You're down. But Scotty's pretty tough. Well, well, you can be tough all you want, but... <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, I did not like the story. Uh, yeah, I, in, case you, in case you couldn't tell from the synopsis <laughs> and my comments, uh, this one I thought went way too far. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't great. In the cheese. I, it started off well. I liked the idea. But then when it was caveman versus... And even the cavemen having telepathic powers, and the and oh, that. and the other guys having chips, I was like, okay, I kind of like that. But yeah, well, they had to do something. Brainwashing the other two, yeah. and then they became leaders. Then I was, like, <clears throat> oh, this is silly. I got it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cave guys had to have something to right. Otherwise, how how could they compete at all? Yeah, they would have got um, butts kicked a long time ago. Now, having psionic powers that they can magically. Zzz, these flying saucers out of the air is, is humorous. Anyway. Well, if we can believe that on Earth teenagers can start getting mutant powers, then why not? Why <sighs> can't these cavemen do the same thing? There you go. Did you watch the New Mutants or something? No, but I've read the, the Star Trek X-Men crossover book. And, oh, uh, you know, okay, okay. Gotcha. If it can exist there, it can exist here. There you go. But I have seen New Mutants. Did you watch it yet? I did. Not very good. No. I mean, the bear... I mean, I, I was not familiar with the whole angry bear concept, whatever the right name for that was. Right. But it's like, it was like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. This bear thing. Oh. Yeah, mm. mm, sad, sad to see the, uh, the X-Men franchise end on that, that note. Well, it's going to get resurrected, so... Yeah. I know this is not the Marvel podcast review, mm-hmm. but I hate when people dismiss the X-Men movie franchise because there wouldn't be a Marvel cinematic universe except the X-Men and is the one that kind of put it all on the map again. I mean, they were the they were the ones that started the the ball rolling on superhero movies again. Uh, and, not Spider-Man? No, nah, the X-Men came first. Uh, okay. And it was a big hit, and then, then all the properties started getting bought up, including Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man just took it to the next level. And then, okay. then Iron Man took it to another level, and then everybody's like, well, why, why don't they have Spider-Man and X-Men in there, where it should belong? You know, not we wouldn't even have this if it wasn't for the Spider-Man and X-Men being with the other studios. <sighs> Anyways. Just annoys oh, me. Gee. I, I I thought it all started with the uh, incredible um, Spider-Man TV show, mm-hmm. live-action TV show, and the uh, of course the, the Bruce Banner uh, Hulk show, right? Which were yeah. just awesome. For the Actually, time, sure. That's funny. I mean, Bill Bixby that he would throw it in in with that. That's great. That is wonderful. <laughs> Although it was the same thing every week. Right. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. You should watch the two-parter that has Dick Durock as the... Uh, Dick uh, Durock. Sounds like a porn name, right? <laughs> but, uh, Dirk he's the, Diggler. Uh, he, he's the actor who played uh, Swamp Thing, but in this one okay. he plays like a uh, a proto uh, a Hulk. Like, there was a doctor that was doing similar, similar experiments, and he actually 
kind of turned into this other Hulk that was played by Dick Durock. Okay. Who's also a big guy. He was a big stuntman. Uh-huh. So there, but there's this, there's an episode where the Hulk's fighting another Hulk and it's actually quite good. <laughs> it's the only, it's the only time he ever fights anything kind of. Even close to him, right? right? Usually it's just pushing somebody over and running out of the room. So, so how uh, is there another Hulk? Oh, uh, it was like supposed how to did be they explain that? Bruce's uh, mentor. Oh. You know, he, he went off and he disappeared all these years ago and then Banner finally finds him and. He's uh, the reason he disappeared is that he did the same he thing. He did to the himself. same experiment. Yeah, it's a good one. It's called uh, Prometheus, I think, Part One. Wow. I never seen that one. It's worth a watch. Oh boy, let me get out there. Better <laughs> when they had the Hulk and uh, Daredevil crossover. That was not bad. <laughs> the trial was incredible. It good. wasn't that good. It was a backdoor pilot that didn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Plus the return of the Incredible Hulk with Thor. I never saw that. Never saw that. Anyway, enough of this. Yes, we are way off in the weeds. Yes, we are. So next week we're doing two more gold key. Make it a, a three-peat. Uh, sure. Let's do that. Come closer to checking another box. Exactly. Let's do that. Yeah. After this, we'll only have four more gold key left. Oh, okay. So sure. uh, 56 and 57? Yep. Those are the next two. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you, Ken, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And, Ken, I hope you feel better. Uh, me too. I was hoping I would by now, and I'm not, but hopefully I will in the next couple of days. Hopefully this Star Trek talk revitalized you. It definitely lifted my spirits. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic.com. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.